Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. What's happening, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. You know the deal. It's new every Thursday. Thank you for subscribing and checking it out. Much appreciated, and hope you are having a great week so far. Well, what a podcast we have for you this week. I mean, we are always, I'm always bringing you some unbelievable interviews and guests, but it's a, it's a rare time, it's a rare podcast when you can say, the guests are two of the founding members of Black Sabbath. Uh, just nuts to even say that. But that's what I have for you this week. Two separate interviews, one with Tony Iommi, one with Geezer Butler. And next week, I'll give you the two drummers that played in Black Sabbath, the two of note, another founding member of the band, Bill Ward, and Vinny Apice back-to-back in next week's podcast. These are gargantuan interviews coming to you right here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Now, let me explain the circumstances. Because as is usually the case, the interviews you hear or you are uh, about to hear originated and aired live on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, heard Monday through Friday on volume. Sirius XM Channel 106, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, nightly re-airs 10 to midnight Eastern. So as I always say, you're getting only a fraction of what's going on on the radio show here on the podcast. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, please come join me every week on the radio, every day I should say on the radio, six live shows as a matter of fact a week that I do on Sirius XM. A few weeks ago, I did Black Sabbath week where each day of the week I had a different Sabbath member on. I had Vinny, I had Bill Ward, I had Geezer Butler, I had Tony Iommi. Each day a different guest and a different newsmaking interview. And much of it was about the fact that a few weeks ago, for the 40th and 41st anniversary of the Mob Rules in Heaven and Hell, 
special deluxe editions of those records were issued. So the push was really a lot about the Dio era because that's what the interviews were aligned to do, and that's what we talked a lot about. And then I actually decided at the last minute to reach out to Bill Ward to see if he would like to be a part of the week as well because he did play on Heaven and Hell, and he agreed to do it. And again, I'll bring you that next week. So next week, the two drummers of Black Sabbath with Bill Ward and Vinnie Apice in one podcast. This week, two founding members with Geezer and Tony. I'm so excited to now be able to present this to the world free as my podcast, and uh, I really think you will enjoy these interviews. We will start with the guy who started it all, Tony Iommi, and follow it with Geezer. Some great stuff in the conversation with Tony and with Geezer, some controversial stuff at the time. Both of these interviews, by the way, made huge news around the world when they aired live on my radio show. The controversy, if there is, if it was controversy, was what Geezer said in the interview about the origins of the Dio horns, you know, throwing the horns, as they say in metal, making that sign. And the backstory on that is that in the liner notes to the Heaven and Hell reissue, Geezer Butler tells a story about having done that sign in Sabbath long before Ronnie was in the band. And then when Ronnie joined the band, he didn't want to do the peace sign because that's what Ozzy did. So he did the horns bit and Geezer claimed he gave him the idea. But everybody agrees that, of course, Ronnie ran with it and made it famous. Nobody would argue that. Geezer also mentions, and I think in the interview we say Paul McCartney, but in reality, John Lennon actually was the first person to be seen making that sign like back in 1968 in the animation for Yellow Submarine. So, you know, there's always been debate, Gene Simmons, Dio, uh, whoever. I've never heard anybody say John Lennon. But according to Geezer, it he took it from Lennon. He was doing it in Sabbath as early as 71, and then he gave it to Dio, and Dio being the front man, made it the famous sign it is today. But there's a there was a lot of uh, debate, discussion, uh, dissension about what Geezer said. And again, it it's in the liner notes to the new reissue of Heaven and Hell. So I did not. You know, I was just commenting and questioning about it from that. And Geezer said what he said. But, he, you know, Geezer actually had put out, like, in the interview you're about to hear, this we'll do it second. Uh, Geezer actually put out, like, two or three statements after this interview aired live, clarifying things he said in it, which, you know, is, is his prerogative to do. But I think people you know, took some stuff the wrong way or, or what have you, because it just made a lot of uh, news in the media at the time. So anyway, Geezer Butler, uh, you know, hysterical when I ask him about the reissues, as you're about to hear, because he's on the air to promote reissues that he knows nothing about. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it, it's just classic Geezer. And we'll start with Tony Iommi with great, great stuff in there from, look, the man who invented the genre we love. So I'm super excited to bring you the podcast this week. We'll start with Tony. We'll follow with Geezer. Again, it's not every day you can say 
This week on the podcast, two of the founding members of Black Sabbath who invented heavy metal. That is coming up in seconds. It's a long one. You got a nice double dip this week with two legends with a capital L. Remember, follow me on Twitter, at Eddie Trunk. Also, Instagram, at Eddie Trunk. Fan page on Facebook. Eddie Trunk is the official online home. Excited to let you guys know, for the first time in ages, I have appearances coming up. They're listed on the homepage of eddietrunk.com. They include April 30th at Two Frogs in Ardmore, Oklahoma with Frank Hannon. And they also include May 1st and 2nd at the Dallas Guitar Festival in Dallas. More details and info as we get closer. Also got Houston coming up, North Dakota, a bunch of uh, a bunch of stuff. Things are happening again. It feels good. I got my vaccine. I'm ready to roll. <laughs> and now shows are starting to trickle back a little bit. So everybody stay healthy out there. Be well. And uh, keep an eye out on my social media. Maybe I'm coming your way. It'll be great to reconnect with everybody and get back out there on the road again soon. We'll be right back. We'll get it started with the one and only Tony Iommi next on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, let me tell you about GovX. We have to uh, always give great thanks to the police, firefighters, EMS, medical workers, all the folks on the front line, even military units. A lot of these folks deal with constrained budgets and outdated gear, but there's still a job to do. And of course, if you're in that field, you need the gear to do it. And you know, hunting for stuff for all of you folks and, and finding discounts has historically required going from one website to another and creating multiple accounts or logins to make purchases and jumping through a lot of hoops to verify your service. I'm sure a lot of you, if you're in this field, wish there was just one place you could go to and visit that had a carefully crafted selection of deals for military first responders in one spot. And that place is GovX. GovX works directly with brands to negotiate the best prices possible because you deserve the gear you need at the prices you've earned. Plus, you can trust that the gear you're ordering is 100% authentic and direct from the manufacturer. They've got a huge collection of gear and apparel from popular brands all in one convenient location at the best price. And GovX honors your service and gives back to your communities. So, if you're an American of service, and we thank you for it, maybe a current or former member of the military, firefighters, frontline medical, law enforcement communities, or the emergency medical world, join GovX for free and enjoy a community that honors and gives back to patriots like you. If you've got a military or first responder background, all you got to do is visit GovX.com, that's G-O-V-X dot com, and sign up for free for instant access to tons of deals and a community that honors your service. And be sure to use my code because you'll get $15 off your first order over $50 or more. And that code is TRUNK15, T-R-U-N-K, and the number 15, as in $15. Trunk 15, 15 bucks off your first order of $50 or more. Use that code trunk15govx.com. 
This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back. As I mentioned, the two of the founding members of Black Sabbath, we start right now with Tony Iommi. Enjoy on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Tony, welcome. Thank you for the time. How are you? Oh, thanks, Eddie. I'm fine, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. You last we we spoke, you you know we were in the middle of this thing with this pandemic, and now hopefully, at least here in the U.S., there's some signs of coming out the other side of it. How are things looking there for you in England? Well, I mean, we're still in a complete lockdown here, and I think for probably for another month. <clears throat> So it's a it's a bit grim on that side. I mean, they're getting through all the um, shots, you know, injections and stuff pretty quick. But um, you know, we're still we still have to be locked down for a while yet. I think. So it's a bit you, you, you're champing at the bit to start doing something else. Really. Uh, have you have you gotten the shot, Tony? Are you going to get it? Yes, I had mine, uh, Eddie, about five weeks ago, and I okay. think the next one's. Next one's due in probably, I think, um, seven seven weeks or something like that time. <clears throat> okay, good. So you're you're uh, you're at least partially immunized. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get a, a first dose here, and I've got another one coming in a few weeks. It, it does. It feels kind of good to at least have that. You know, it, at least for me, I'm sure you as well. It feels nice to have some protection and feeling like we're getting a step closer to normal again. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I can't wait to get back to some kind of normality. Yeah. Hey, um, before I talk to you about what we're going to talk about today, which, of course, is the, the Dio era of Sabbath, predominantly these heaven and hell and the uh, mob rules reissues, J- just before you yeah. join me on the air, I spent some time uh, talking about Eddie Van Halen, and I know that you were extraordinarily close with him. And I was just wondering, I don't, I don't think we spoke since Eddie passed away. Any thoughts you'd like to share about your friendship and your history with Eddie? And, and did you have a chance to speak with him before he passed? Well, we had a... We had a great long friendship, really, ever since, um, you know, they toured with us on the Never Say Die tour in, in 78. And um, <clears throat> so it was, uh, you know, we'd, uh, we'd stayed in touch. Uh, we, we lost contact for a while, then we got back in touch. And then it was great. We were in touch with each other on a regular basis. And when I'd, when I'd be in L.A., uh, his wife, uh, and my wife and, and Eddie and myself would go out for dinner and get together. It was great. We had a really nice relationship, and he supported me a lot when I was ill. And um, you know, and I tried to support him as well. Uh, so we we had a really good friendship. And I did actually uh, was in touch with him not long before he before he uh, he went into hospital uh, before he just before he passed away really. Mm. And Tone, how how are you doing uh, with with your health? Are you where are you at with with things? Are you on the other side of it at this point? Or are you still managing it? Well, I still manage it. I I, <clears throat> I had my checks uh, two weeks ago, uh, blood tests and all the rest of the stuff they do. And yeah, everything at the moment, Eddie, thank you, is uh, is is going okay. I mean, I, you know, I just get tired really, but that's probably old age as well. <laughs> and also being locked up you know like you said a, a year of oh, lockdown and yeah. pandemic you just want to get normal and move around and get out and and be social and and that takes its toll too 
you do and also you know one of the strange things i'm finding is you forget what to talk about because <clears throat> you're stuck in this bubble and um you know we can't actually in england at the moment you can't have anybody in your house except your own people you're living with your own family so um you know you don't really get chance to to see anybody and uh, and actually have them in your house and talk to talk to anybody so you, you you actually forget what to say and what to talk about really it's really peculiar i think i think you all go a bit a bit loony really are you somebody that spends a lot of time on netflix i do We've watched about everything, I think, now, Eddie. <laughs> it's, getting, it's getting a bit too much now. <laughs> and, you know, and so many musicians I talked to, Tony, during this, this past uh, year or so have spent a lot of time writing or maybe going through their archives and chronicling things or going back on things. Have you done any of that? Have you worked on any music in the last year or so, whether it be new or maybe going through your vast uh, uh, catalog of riffs or anything like that that you've worked on yes i've um i have played uh, <clears throat> i've done a couple of i've done a project uh, i played on one of the tracks with uh, nick mason from uh, pink floyd mm. um, i was uh, it was a charity uh, uh, record and um, it's not out yet i don't think it's um and they asked me to play on that and that was interesting that was something very different for me because it was about uh, the guy that put it together was the lyrics for the um, for the uh, song were old war uh, uh, letters from from the First World War and people had died in the war that sent letters home and of course they never came back you know and and this guy got the letters and it made it made them into lyrics and it was quite an interesting project really and I, I, I quite enjoyed playing on that. Um, but I've been doing stuff uh, myself as well. I just put ideas down. But I, I'm not that good on working on computers and getting drums and all that sort of business. Uh, so I have to have my engineer. And of course, because of the pandemic, you can't have anybody in the in the house. So I can't have him here yet until you know a, a, a few weeks' time. But I have been. Um, trying to go through stuff but you can only listen to so many things for a while i've got i mean i've got so many riffs and and seed on cds and uh, uh that i've i start playing through but um you, you can only listen to them for so long then you have to have a break for a while you start you know start hearing things well, obviously, one of the things that's come out, there's been a number of things in terms of Sabbath reissues, starting with the early Aussie records. The recent uh, Volume 4 reissue is fantastic. But today, what we're predominantly here to talk about is going back to that era that I loved so much and was when I first discovered Sabbath. And you and I have spent a lot of time, uh, whether it be TV or radio interviews or even privately, talking about uh, how magical and wonderful the, the that era of Sabbath was with Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. And now we've got these two new reissues which have just come out. And uh, earlier this week, I had uh, Vinny on yesterday, I had Geezer on on Monday. Actually, I heard from Bill Ward, and he's going to come on tomorrow. So everyone's going to come on and talk about uh, you know this particular period of Sabbath. And, and for you, Tony, you know one of the things I wanted to ask you about, having talked to Geezer and talked to Vinny, it's a really interesting uh, thing that I've come up with in my head here, because here you are with uh, the start of a new era of Sabbath. You've got Ronnie coming in as a singer, 
but you lost Bill in in the middle of the tour uh, where he left and he was having well-documented problems at the time. And then Geezer, when he was on on Monday, said that he had actually left and came back just in time to record the bass. So this yeah. triumphant, incredible record, if things didn't line up, you could have found yourself in a position where you could have really lost everybody at, at that at one point, couldn't you? Well, it did. It went, uh, you know, after Ozzy went, and then Ronnie came in, <clears throat> and then Geezer had to leave for his personal problems. And uh, we were really stumped. And uh, uh, Ronnie, fortunately, could play bass. You know, he was playing bass on on some of the, when we were rehearsing, putting stuff together. So we had uh, we had a, a little setup uh, in the in the house in, in that we we rented a house in Beverly Hills, and we had a a little so I had a small amp and and then Bill had a small drum kit, and uh, and, and Ronnie just sort of sing through a a little amp you know, and it was it was very very primitive, but it, it worked you know, and we just had a tape record, just a cassette player. And uh, we started putting the ideas together, you know, and Ronnie would play bass. Did you have a contingency plan in mind if Geezer did not come back? Because when I spoke to Geezer on Monday, he was saying he, was, he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to return. He wasn't sure what was going to happen if he'd be able to come back to the band. And he said he got in pretty much just under the wire to be able to record the bass on the record. Were you planning, did you have somebody in mind if, if that didn't happen? Well, we tried a, a, a few bass players, but I, you know, after playing with Geese so much, I mean, he's such a great player, and you know, we we, we knew each other so so well, playing wise as well. That um, yeah, I really missed uh, Geese when he went, and I was really hoping that he would come back at some point. Um, but uh, when you know when he left, he, obviously he had a reason and. You had to wait until it sorted itself out to come back. Uh, but we never knew for definite he was going to come back, no. So, so we had to look for other bass players. We tried different bass players. Um, but uh, And Ronnie suggested a, a Craig Gruber in the end, and we, we had him um, uh, for a while. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was difficult. It was difficult because it was all it was falling apart, but it was all getting together as well. It was really peculiar because with Ronnie's involvement, obviously we we started. It was a more of a positive attitude, uh, and Ronnie came in, and I could work with Ronnie, and we could actually put something together. Yeah, I, I guess my point on all this is it's really fascinating how close it came to you losing everybody because if if Geezer didn't come back in the 11th hour and then, of course, Bill left right not long after the record was done, uh, you would have been faced with the prospect of introducing uh, Black Sabbath not only with a new singer but an entirely new band at that point, which I know you actually did a version, you know, you've, you did that going forward a little bit, but at that point, I think trying to resurrect the band, it would have made it uh, threefold more difficult than just trying to tell people you had a new singer that, you know, you had a fantastic new singer in Ronnie. So that was more of an easier sell, but trying to say, Hey, you know, we've got a new bass player and a new drummer that could have been, you yeah. know, changed the trajectory a lot. I would think. Oh, and it was so, so, uh, uh, difficult. I mean, you know, we, we had a, when Ronnie came in, it, it was great. We, we, it was 
you know, it came in positive attitude, and we and we we had this thing to fight for again. You know, let's let's we've got to prove ourselves because we had everything against us at the time. Don Arden was managing us, and he didn't particularly want Ronnie in the band, and we wanted Ronnie in the band, and uh, and so obviously we parted company with with him, uh, and it made life really difficult. And um, and of course, then when when Giza left, uh, that was oh no. Uh, but we, you, you carry on. My attitude's always been, and, it, and you, know, you know me well enough now. <clears throat> I, I believe in what I do, and, and if, some, if somebody leaves, you, you, I mean, it's so easy to go, oh, that's it, then we'll break up. But I didn't want to break up. I wanted to carry on, and I, I felt we'd got something really positive, you know, when Ronnie came in. And... Um, it, and it was a matter of believing in it and, and sticking with it, really. And uh, and fortunately, it all worked out in the end. Geezer came back, and we and we done the record. We done Heaven and Hell, and it was unfortunate. Yes, on the tour, Bill uh, suddenly left at a show. He, he walked out on a show before the show, and that was difficult. I mean, because uh, I'd I'd known Bill for for longer than anybody. Well, apart from Ozzy, of course. I mean, I was at school with Oz. But I played with with Bill in two bands before Sabbath, so um, you know we were really locked in with each other. And so when Bill left, I was just uh, devastated at that time and, and panicking and uh, and, and to myself were like, oh no. Uh, but you know we were lucky to to have uh, Vinnie come in. Yeah, uh, Vinny told that story yesterday on the air about coming in and the first show in Hawaii, and uh, you were so concerned oh. that he had such a small drum kit. <laughs> oh, God, I gave him some stick. I mean, it was terrible, really, because, um, you know, after being used to playing with Bill for so many years, and I knew Bill inside out as far as playing-wise, we'd follow each other really well, and we'd geese as well. Uh, and then when uh, um, Vinny came in, it was like so. Oh, I was panicking. We we rehearsed. Uh, we only had a, a short rehearsal in Los Angeles, and then we had this show in Hawaii. And of course, Vinny wrote all his notes out and everything, and you know, and he said, "Don't worry, it, it'll be okay. I'll have it." And the day of the show in Hawaii was a big open air festival, a big open air show, and I was pacing the room panicking and Ronnie kept saying don't worry everything's going to be all right I go no it's not it's going it's going to be all right anyway we got on stage and I saw Vinny's kit and I nearly passed out he got <laughs> he got this kit on Bill's drum riser which was Bill's drum riser it was a big drum riser because he had a big kit and then Vinny had this little kit in comparison to Bill's and I thought oh god you're never going to be able to hear him and um and of course, he had all his notes there, and uh, oh, it started raining, and, and, and his um, his notes got smudged, and he had to sort of wing it. But I tell you, he done a he done a great job, Vinny, and a uh, great player, great player. Um, and we got through it, and and, and that was it. Then once we once we'd actually done the done a show, it, everything fell into place. Two two questions about heaven and hell, and then we'll talk a little bit about mob rules. I mean, I could talk to you about all this forever, but I know we don't have unlimited time. But what has come out also recently is that of all the songs on heaven and hell, the only one that was around in some form 
uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, that that ended up on the record was an early version of Children of the Sea. And that was the only thing that Ozzy actually did a demo of. Do you have the the demo? Do you have a version anywhere in your uh, archives of Ozzy singing Children of the Sea? Yes, I have. It's uh, amongst some of my hundreds of CDs and cassettes I've got, you know. Uh, but yes, I do have. Uh, I, I have the, 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 all the stuff, or most of the stuff from those times. Yeah. Wow, that uh, that I would mean, be amazing the, the, to hear. Oh well, you might do one day. The, the, the melody line Ozzy done on it was good. I mean, he done a good melody line and a, a, a good chorus. But again, um, it, it it wasn't fully in place. Uh, Children of the Sea. We only had sort of half of it. <clears throat> but um, but when Ronnie came in, I mean, you can't sort of say Ronnie, yeah, this is the vocal, because Ronnie had his own ideas, and Ronnie was such a totally different singer to us that uh, you know he had to come up with his own. Uh, melody and, um, uh, and, and and lyrics and whatnot. And is that something, Tony, when you decided that you needed to get a new singer and when Ozzy was let go, was that something that was important to you? Did you want to make sure you got a singer that was very different uh, than than Ozzy versus somebody that sounded a lot like him? I, I think we, we had to. And it, I mean, it just fell into place anyway. But, I mean, we didn't Ronnie was sort of the first choice because uh, I'd met Ronnie at a at a, a party <clears throat> beforehand, and I was feeling a bit disgruntled because of all the things that were going on with with Sabbath. It was sort of falling apart, and and I, I was talking to Ronnie about sort of even doing a separate project, you know. And, and Ronnie said, "Yeah, yeah, he'd be interested in that." But of course, when it happened that that um, right, uh, that Ozzy had to leave, then um, the first choice was was Ronnie. I said to the other guys, you know, about Ronnie, and said, well, yeah, let's let's get him over and, and have a try with him and just, just jam around and see what happens. And, of course, as, as soon as he, he came over and, and started singing, that was it. But I think if we'd have looked for a singer to sound like Ozzy, I mean, there's only one Ozzy, and Ozzy was Ozzy, and he had his own way, you know. And... Um, so to bring somebody in that sounded similar would be, I don't know. I, I, I think we went the, the best way by going totally opposite, and by of course bringing Ronnie into the to the band, it the writing changed. We we could write in a different way uh, for Ronnie because he, he, his approach was different to songs than Ozzy was, and Ozzy's stuff was great. I mean, I'm not knocking Ozzy; it's always really great the stuff he'd done. But when Ronnie came in, it was another. It, we went another direction in a way because it, it it sort of got me to write differently and got us all to play differently um, because it was a different sound and we were creating a different sound and and it was it was exciting and I, and a good thing about Ronnie as well it encouraged me to play more after being obviously <laughs> with Richie I suppose he you know he's used to get long guitar solos and stuff. So Ronnie right. sort of encouraged me to play, you know, play play along a solo. Oh, great, you know. Uh, so it was it, it worked out really well. Yeah, Geezer mentioned that too. Geezer said that once because he had written the lyrics up to that point with Sabbath, and he said once Ronnie came and wrote the lyrics, it freed him up 
uh, to work more on his playing and focus more on just being a bass player as opposed to worrying about lyrics and shaping the songs. Uh, I, I also yeah. want to ask you, I, I also want to ask you about a song that surfaced very recently, Tony, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this. I know geezer was the other day, but Jeff Nichols, who had done keyboards around, uh, around this time for you, his estate posted a song that uh, on YouTube the other day that they said was a, an outtake from heaven and hell called slapback. What can you tell us about that? Well, I'm not at all happy with that at all. I mean, it's, it's left a really bad taste in my mouth. Uh, at that point, when we did that, Jeff wasn't even involved in the band. I hadn't even got Jeff over at that time. That is actually Ronnie playing bass on that. Um, oh. And that was, um, yeah, so you didn't know that one, did you? No, <laughs> That was no. Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie playing on it. And we played, um, that was just in the lounge, on a, a, recorded on a cassette. Uh, and... Um, <clears throat> But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we had a, one or two things that we'd, we'd jam around on and play on and stuff, but it, uh, it, it just didn't, it weren't right for the album, so we didn't put it into shape, we didn't record it or anything. Did part of it or some of it become Walk Away? Um, I don't know, really. I actually don't know. It might have materialized into Walk Away, I don't know. There's somebody online, uh, uh, you know, you know how people get into this stuff. And um, some music professor guy <laughs> sent me a link today saying that if you listen to it, that this would have turned into "Walk Away," a certain part of it. Uh, because I know "Walk Away" is an interesting song on Heaven and Hell, in that it's not like the other songs on the record. It's a little bit, the whole feel of it is a little brighter, I think, than the rest of the record. Yeah, I mean, "Walk Away" wasn't one of my favorite ones, to be fair. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I, I love that album, but that Walk Away was yeah, it was it was it was good at the time, but um, uh, it's yeah. different than the that's rest of the what, record. That's though. what that's what happens with the writing, you know. Sometimes you might do a song and go, oh, no, we won't use that, but there's the one part in it. Let's try that, and we'll use that in the song, and that does happen. So I might, I might well have done. I don't remember doing that, but I might well have done. Tony, have you had a chance to uh, spend any time with the latest editions of the records? Were you very involved in them, whether it be the mastering or the added live tracks or the stuff on them? Oh, yeah, I've been involved as far as, you know, um, that, that sent me the, 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 uh, the copies to listen to and see what I thought and did I like this or do I add this or that. So, yeah, um, I thought the guys had done a great job anyway and, and uh, all the covers and everything. I, I think it's they're really, really classy-looking product. Yeah, they really did do a wonderful job with them. So when it came to Mob Rules, I would imagine that things were very, very different in, in the sense that there was a feeling that the lineup had been solidified. Vinny had done some touring. Now he had recorded the song Mob Rules. I know you guys had done that earlier at, at John Lennon's place. Then the record comes around. Ronnie had some already a record and some touring and history under under his belt. Maybe the Where's Ozzy factor had worn down at that point because people knew that yeah. Ronnie was the guy. Uh, take me through the Mob Rules period for you. I imagine that was a really wonderful uh, part of that lineup. It was. It was great because we were all used to playing with each other at that point. And it was great for Geezer as well because, you know, we're in the past with old, uh, you know, with the old Sabbath, uh, um Geezer had to do the lyrics, like you were saying earlier, and the bass playing. And he has to work out some, I mean, he's a great bass player, work out some great stuff. So 
it freed up a lot of things really and the mob rules uh, was a was one we could just go in and we jam and and come up with ideas and geezer could just concentrate on his bass bass work and and Vinny on his drums and me on guitar and then of course um um uh that, that would be it really then you know to me uh the the uh the song Sign of the Southern Cross, one of the highlights for me on the mob rules that I always looked at that and, and tell me how you feel about it. But I've always, I always felt like that was the heaven and hell. The, I'm talking about the song for, of, of yeah. the mob rules, that, that huge epic song that, that, that heaven and hell, the song was to me, uh, sign of the Southern cross always occupied that same space on, on mob rules. Did you have that in mind when you wrote it? Is, was that sort of what you were going for? It was actually, absolutely. I mean, it's, it was another version of, it was a, a the heaven and hell of that album. Really. I, I really liked that, the sign of the Southern cross. And um, I liked it with the space as well, like we did on Heaven and Hell, you know, where Ronnie could sing away in the middle and then, then the riff would come in. Um, no, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I really like that. And when you talk about songs that maybe are a little uh, different in tone from Sabbath, like we talked about with Walk Away from, from Heaven and Hell, the one that jumps out to me that I kind of feel that way about on Mob Rules a little bit is Country Girl only in the sense of lyrically? I don't think it's anything Sabbath would have ever have done w- without Ronnie. W- would you agree? What are your thoughts on Country Girl? Oh, I, de- I definitely agree. When, that was one of the topics that did come up when we were doing it. We went, "You're not going to sing about a country girl, are you?" <laughs> I mean, it just, it just like it was. It, it did, and Goose is going country girl. <laughs> You know, it was, it was so different for us, and uh, we did that. That was a bit of a dispute we had at the time, but but we went along with it in the end. But um, but yeah, because we had this, you know, the heavy riff, and then it seemed singing about country going. Oh, blimey, that's a that's so different for us. I mean, we'd never done done anything like that. Yeah, but, especially you know, especially the opening lyric, "Fell in love with a country girl." It's just not something that that you would think of being very <laughs> Sabbathy. But but in retrospect, yeah. I mean, the song is the song is great. I mean, it, it it fits fine now. But now, when you think of it in the context of coming off of what Sabbath stood for at the time, yeah. you could definitely tell someone else was was steering the lyrics at that point. Absolutely, absolutely. But again, you see, Ronnie could sing about anything, and the way he put it over would would be. You know, it, it it just took you away from into another another zone. I mean, it, it's such a great way of attacking the the vocals. Uh, you know, you got this real angry anger, and uh, well, I'm telling you about it. I mean, you know everything about Ronnie. I mean, it's such a it's such a great way of presenting songs, and uh, and so that sort of took it away from the country girl sort of name, if you like. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you're absolutely right in terms of the approach and the the tone of it yeah. and the way he delivers it. It doesn't feel that way, but then when you step aside from it, you're like, that's not something you would expect Sabbath to have on a record. Yeah. And then when you talk about some of the deeper tracks on the Mob Rules, one of my all time favorites is actually the final track on the record, over and over, which is more of a, a bluesy thing. But his Ronnie's voice, which is one of my favorite vocals he ever did. But you also have some incredibly tasty playing in there, and I thought that was really cool too. At this particular era, that you had the versatility to do stuff like that. Yeah, I mean that was that was the thing we were open for doing. Uh, 
whatever we liked, we had to do what we liked. I mean, we we couldn't do it to please other people, and we really enjoyed doing these tracks and uh, and, and 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 doing them in the way we felt. And it was great with over and over. It, 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 they wanted me to do a, a solo on it, a long solo, and and, and I did. And it, it, it was we we what I liked about that lineup, we pushed each other on. And I'd, I'd play a solo and Ronnie would say, oh, I really like that, you know. Or he'd say, go on, Tony, you can do a better one than that. And it would it would sort of, we'd spark each other on. And Geezer as well. So it, it, it was, uh, well, all of us, you know, Vin. It was just a different atmosphere again on Mob Rules. It, was, um, it really worked. What, what, what are your recollections about the touring for the record? Um... I don't know. I can't. I, 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 good tour, I should imagine. Was it? Uh, was it? But did you remember it being better received than Heaven and Hell? Because with the Heaven and Hell tour, you had to go out and do. Uh, it well, started we, yeah. with Blue Oyster Cult, Black and Blue. It was a co-headline. My recollection, because I saw the Mob Rules tour, my recollection was it was really when this lineup felt fully locked in and that people knew. I mean, knew what it was. I mean, my I saw you guys headline an arena in New Jersey on that tour, so it was a little bit different. It felt like it was another uh, Mob Rules was another step forward and just solidifying what the new version Absolutely. of Sabbath was going to be. Absolutely. Well, again, as I say, heaven and hell, we went out, we had to prove ourselves again. So it was a, a, a real introducing Ronnie to the, for the, to the fans and, and, and going through ups and downs, you know, some people liking it, some people not. <clears throat> but by the time we got to mob rules, people knew what we were about. And, it, it was a lot more relaxing. We were so tight. The band was really tight, and and what I also liked about that lineup is we could we could jam on stage. We'd put things in. We'd we'd we'd, we'd add things. It wouldn't have to be exactly uh, the same every night as such. You know, you could say, "Oh, I'll, I'll do a longer solo," or and everybody'd know where you are and follow you and. And Ronnie'd run in do a lot of ad libs, and it was just different. It wouldn't always be the same. Well, yeah, and that's evident in the song "Heaven and Hell" because when you did that live, and people could hear that in some of the previously unreleased live stuff on these reissues, the song "Heaven and Hell" would go on its own journey at some points, right? I mean, that really spread yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you get to the point, oh, blimey, how are we going to get out of this now? We've we've got to this. <laughs> This jam, where, where do we go? Where do we get out? <laughs> but it was exciting, you know. It kept you on the ball, and and I think that was a a really, uh, you know, it was it get you off. You'd be you'd be you, because you'd be excited about it, and you keep you on edge, and um, because you never knew where you were going to go. Uh, we'd go on stage, and we and we had confidence with each other. That was the thing, you know. We knew we'd be. We're playing a show, and we know we, we knew Ronnie, what Ronnie would be like. We knew what each of us would be like. <clears throat> but when we go into a jam, we never knew where we were going to go, and and it could it it'd either work or not. And you know, most times it worked. And Tone, I'm curious. These records, these two records, are so incredible and timeless. And I listen to them every day, you know, all the time, like they just came out. And, you know, I'm curious, though, this was a time that was so interesting for Sabbath, what you guys were going through, which we've we've documented. But then you talk about Ozzy, who at that point, 
I think a lot of people had essentially left for dead and thought he'd never resurrect anything. And parallel to these two records, he's creating these incredible records with Randy Rhodes and Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake that are also legendary and iconic with Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman. Were you guys, were you looking at that? Were you watching that and saying, how the hell is this guy pulling the, like, what, how how did this happen? Because again, even his, his management didn't expect he'd be able to do something like that. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it was the best thing for us. It was the best thing for all of us because it it made us work again, made us all realize, blimey, you know, we've got to do something here. And, um, and it was great because, um, you know, Sharon got Ozzy on rolling again. I mean, Ozzy went through a real bad dip in himself, and uh, and he was managed to be pulled out of it, and <clears throat> and they got a good band behind him, and coming up with some good songs, and uh, it was it was really really good. He took on another a career as we did, so we took on the career we run, and then Ozzy took on his career as his solo thing, which was really good. So we got, you know, people have got two bands for the price of one, really. Yeah, really, it was it really was addition by subtraction when you think at the of the output of music at that time. And I, I'm curious, what were your thoughts the first time you heard Randy Rhodes? Um, good, yeah, he's a good player. I mean, I didn't I didn't really sort of sit down and study uh, Ozzy's albums at all because I was too concerned with what we were doing. To be fair, right. Um, but um, but when I would hear it on the radio, yeah, he's a great player, really great player. Um, but there again, before that, I'd heard Eddie Van Halen, so right, know, <laughs> great player. Right, right, yeah, but, that's but, pretty much. I mean, but but uh, you know, Randy was a young lad and it been brilliant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so before I let you go, Tone, give everybody the update on 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 what's next in terms of Sabbath reissues. You know, last time we spoke not too long ago, we were talking a little bit also about the Tony Martin era. You've got the born again record, which of course is the record that in the Sabbath uh, trajectory comes after mob rules, because we all know Ronnie left and would come back a couple times. And that's a whole nother story. But uh, in terms of the Sabbath lineage, you would go, you would get Ian Gillen, you would make born again, which a lot of people uh, have new respect for as a record. Uh, where, when you continue to revisit the material, what would you like to do next? I know there's some of the Tony Martin stuff you're dealing with too. So what, what can yeah. fans expect down the line? Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing is re looking at this stuff and, uh, and because a lot of people have wanted out because in, in some ways with Tony Martin, you know, he, he's got pushed in the back and he was a great singer and we've done some great stuff with Tony Martin, <clears throat> I think. And, um, so we will launch some of that once we once we get to that point. Obviously, the Ronnie stuff's out now. So, uh, and the Ian Gillan situation. Well, that's unfortunate because people are going, "Oh, why don't you remix the album?" We we, we can't because we don't have the tape. We've lost, and I don't know how, but the tapes have got lost. Certain, we, I think we have about three tapes of of, of, of Born Again, and. For some way or other, the others have gone missing, and we we don't know where they are. So it's really frustrating because you you can't, you know, you need to tell the fans, look, we can't remix it. We haven't got the tapes, um, and redo it. So uh, we can only do what we can do and um, uh, and remaster it and stuff. 
but uh, it would have been nice to have to have been able to get those again and, 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 and look at them. But, I mean, who knows? One day they might turn up wherever they may be. I don't know. We seem to have lost it in that Dunarden period. So they could be stored anywhere and somebody could have them. I don't know. Maybe somebody will release them on blooming on the internet at some point. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that how you find out where everything is? Somebody t- pops up yeah, out of exactly. nowhere with something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my God, that one surface. But uh, <laughs> that's the plan is to do, uh, you know, go through the periods of, of, of the different forms of Sabbath. And, um, and then maybe go into my solo stuff. Mm. Yeah, I love the fused record that you did with Glenn. I mean, there's so there's so much good stuff there. And and the last thing, when you talk about this and when you hear these songs, I mean, the the natural feeling from a rock fan like myself is, my gosh, it would be so great to hear these performed or some of this material performed live. Now we all know tragically Ronnie's no longer with us, and and you as as the constant in Sabbath from day one till now. Uh, the guy who's been a part of all of this material is there a you know just wishful thinking as a fan it would be amazing to me to be able to see you put a a, a group together and go up there and play a cross section of material be able to have whether they be the singers themselves or people one singer come up and do headless cross and do maybe no stranger to love and then do stuff from dio and then maybe even some of the aussie stuff would you would you like that i know you're you can't really tour right now, but is that something there that that you would enjoy doing? To if you could find a way to to basically play your history in some way live once again? Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's uh, you know, I'd have liked to have done another so many gigs with with Sabbath again, you know, with the, the original lineup. But mm-hmm. of course, you know, taking on a tour again, it's really difficult because you've either got to sign up for you know, 12 months or 18 months, because it's a, a big show, it's become a big show, and once it gets to that stage, you've just got to go on, and, and, and it, it does you in at the end of the 18 months. But to go out and do a few shows, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that. And, uh, I mean, I love playing, I love seeing the audience, I love playing to the audience, but I'd have to go out and have a, a, a good band. I couldn't just go out and just... That's why I don't get up and jam with people. I never, I never do that, because I never feel confident enough to get up and jam with people unless I can rehearse with them first and, and make sure I know what it's all about, really, you know. Considering Ozzy's health, uh, would you, if he was healthy enough to do it, and we certainly all hope that he does get well, uh, you don't rule out at some point uh, with the original band not touring but possibly doing a scattered show here or there? Yeah, I don't rule out anything at the moment, Eddie. I'm quite open. And it's great because I've had the time to, in this period, to sort of um, enjoy everything. One of my main problems with touring all the time was I I had no home life, and none of us did really. So uh, for me, I I wanted to have my home life, to see my daughter and my wife and family and everybody. Uh, So... Now I'm, I'm getting that chance. Well, I'm sort of getting the chance. And since the pandemic came, it caused it stopped to seeing my daughter and things. You couldn't unless you're in a bubble. But um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I do miss playing. I miss playing live. Uh, I mean, I can play all the time here at home, but it's nothing like a live show. It's nothing like that. 
stimulation and uh, and I've had, we've had some great players you know playing with Vinny was was great playing with Bill playing with playing with Geese and everybody it's been a, been, a, been a great period uh, you know it's had its ups and downs over the years but you can't take it away you know I've I've, I've stuck with it and I enjoyed it you know uh, I'm I'm laughing because uh, so many of the musicians I talk to who have complained about never being home for so long, it's now going the other way. It's like I got to get out of the house, <laughs> whether it's their girlfriend or their wife or their kids or someone driving them crazy. They're ready to take a gig playing anywhere. Don't. <laughs> I mean, I must say I do. I like being being at home, and I, and I keep myself busy. You know, I'm, I'm taking on another, like most people do at the time, I go out for walks in the morning and with my wife and, 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 we, and we, we we do different things, but it's at home. Right. Um, so it does get a bit sort of monotonous. You want to go out and see your friends and, 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 uh, and I will be doing, I will be doing some of these. I was doing before the pandemic, I was doing these uh, evening with Tony Iommi and I was going doing these shows where I do a talk about the history of, of, of my history and Sabbath and all the rest of the stuff I've done. I was doing those sort of things, and I had quite a few of those booked in, like in Germany and Italy and uh, Finland and Sweden. And, and of course, they all had to get cancelled when the pandemic uh, happened. But uh, I quite enjoyed doing those because that, again, was a contact for me with the fans. And um, it was being on stage talking about your life, really. And uh, so, I, I, you know, I, I, I'll probably will do some more of those once things uh, happen, as well as playing. Tone, I just got an idea, and I'll let you go on this. You can think about it. So I just bought a place in Las Vegas, just a little little uh, getaway home, because I love Las Vegas. I see yeah. somewhere in neon right now a Tony Iommi residency interview series <laughs> Hosted by Eddie Trunk, me and you on a couple bar stools on the Vegas Strip. What do you think? I'd be up for that. Absolutely. Tony Iommi, yeah. storytellers, will take questions from the audience. I'm serious. I think it'll be amazing. I know. To do. I know. You. You're the man. You're the man. You know. You know everything about my life and the and the history of stuff. You know everything, and you've been that close to it. You've been an extra member. You have. I mean, you know the life of it. You do, and and uh, and it's great because that's the sort of thing you need. You need somebody that knows about it to ask you the questions or the audience ask you the questions or whatever. Yes, I, I, I actually, yes. Yeah. I'm going to pitch it to Ralph. Maybe, maybe it's something after the pandemic we can do. Cause I, I know some producers that would love to do that. I think it would be awesome. People would get a kick out, but you know, the problem, Tony, you and I would get talking and it would be like a four hour show. I do an hour. I do an hour on Forbidden Alone. <laughs> I'd be up for that, Eddie. Absolutely. We do. We we do. We could do a week on Seventh Star, and and and, and it would be like forget about it. <laughs> well, who knows? Let's get through this. Let's get through this damn madness of this world right now, and uh, maybe maybe it's something somewhere down the line we could do. I think it would be a lot of fun. But uh, I appreciate the time as always. I really do, and I, I wish you well and and stay healthy, and hopefully we'll get to see each other soon. All right, my friend. Eddie, before you go, thanks for your birthday uh, text. That was fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, a very happy birthday to you and many more. 
Thank you. And all the audience out there that did send stuff to my Facebook and Twitter and whatever, that's great. Thank you. Tone, take care of yourself. Thank you for the time. Anything you need, you know where to get me. Thanks, Eddie. All the best, mate. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, mate. Bye-bye. Well, I can't thank Tony enough, and we are going to work on doing a Vegas show together, for real. (laughs) As crazy as that sounds, the Tony and Eddie show could be coming to the Strip soon. I bought a place in Vegas that I'll be getting in June, and uh, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen once I get out there a little bit. All right, we will be right back. Interview number two, another founding member of Sabbath, Geezer Butler, legendary stuff from Geez coming up next. Hey, movie lovers, who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts, ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. This is Denny Somak, host of The Rock Podcast. I'm a producer, author, and rock historian, and I want to share with you some of the greatest stories in rock and roll. Well, Bonzo was the best hard rock drummer ever, hands down. I mean, no one comes within a mile of him. And I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. John Lennon had this wise guy look on his face, just like me and my friends were just a bunch of wise guys, street kids. The first guitar I ever had was a um, Spanish guitar, and I couldn't really get the hang of it. I was only 13. I had never written a song before, actually, and uh, so Jim says, okay, everybody go home and write some songs, you know. And so I went, went home and wrote Light My Fire. Join me for The Rock Podcast, the only podcast that matters. From Podcast One or wherever you get yours. We're back, and it's now time for... One of the great bass players of all time and another founding member of Black Sabbath, Geezer Butler. Enjoy. Geez. Hello, Eddie. Hello, Eddie. <laughs> How are you, man? How you been holding up? I'm thinking of uh, starting my own bowling career. <laughs> Have you been practicing at all, Geezer? Yeah, practicing lying in bed. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I miss I miss our our bowling events. I miss all the events. Of course, it's been a crazy year. How, how have you been? Have you been in LA the whole time during the the lockdown? LA and Utah. We got a, I got a house up in the mountains in Utah, so I spent quite some time there. Have you been working on music or doing anything during the downtime? At the moment, I'm uh, working on memoir. A memoir. How far along are you? Written about 10 pages. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken me two months to do 10 pages. <laughs> so we're looking at maybe a 2030 release, Geese? Yeah, could be, yeah. <laughs> well, I look forward to it whenever you get around to it. It's It's hard finding the discipline to do it, right? That was my problem when I wrote my books is you need you need to adhere to deadlines. If you don't have somebody giving you a deadline, it's easy to just say, now nah, I'll do it another time. That was my problem. Exactly. Yeah, you sit down to write and then like somebody calls you or something, invites you out to dinner or something. And then it takes you like 
another three or four days to get into the spirit of writing it again. So it's really, you just have to lock yourself away and have absolutely uh, nobody to interrupt you. When, when are you, are you going to start? Is it going to be your life story from being a kid forward or is it going to be just starting around the time of Sabbath? What's your timeline on it? No, it's, it's about growing up in, in Aston, in Birmingham and on from there. Okay, so it'll start early on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited for it. I look forward to it coming out. So obviously, Geezer, here we are again, uh, re- revisiting and remembering this great period of Sabbath from Heaven and Hell and the Mob Rules and the Dio era of the band, as, as you well know, an era that's really, really special to me. And over the last 15 years or so, we've all done, you know, I've done a lot with you guys about it. It's hard to believe these records, 40 and 41 years old now. What are your, what are you, for you, uh, your recollections about this whole period? Because I know starting with Heaven and Hell, it was a rough period for you where you were almost not part of that. So give everybody your remembrances about this particular period of time for Sabbath. Well, we started off, um, I mean, with uh, with Ozzy in the band, and um, we were, we hired a house in Bel Air in Los Angeles, and we were doing uh, Tony and me and Bill were coming up with a lot of music, and Ozzy just didn't seem to be into anything that we were coming up with, and um, eventually Ozzy left the band, and it was either call it a daytime or Tony said that he'd met this guy called Ronnie James Dio, who'd sang with uh, Richie Blackmore and Rainbow. And um, what about, you know, inviting him up and see if he could do anything with the music that we'd written so far. And Ronnie came up and he was really, really enthusiastic, which is what we all needed. um, Because we thought, you know, it's going to be the end of the band. Ronnie came in, sang to the to the three uh, music ideas that we had. Uh, I think the first one was Children of the Grave. And it sounded great from from then on. Children um, of the Sea, I think, right? Geese, Children of the Sea. Yeah, Children of the Sea. Yeah, not Children of the Grave, different era. You said Children <laughs> you said Children of the Grave. Oh God. Also also a great song, but obviously that would you know create a timeline issue. That's why I was checking. Well yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, Children of the Sea, and I think Walk Away or something like that, and some other thing. And um, and then I had to leave the band because uh, I was having divorce problems back in England. So I left for a while. Um, meanwhile, they'd written the song Heaven and Hell and Die Young. And I came back and I heard uh, Heaven and Hell and Die Young for the first time as a fan would hear it. And I was just absolutely blown away with it. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. Now, when you left to go back to England to deal with that issue at the time, was it always the intent that you would return? Or was it a question mark whether you would return to the band? It was a question mark. I just knew I was just in such a bad way at the time going through divorce because I'd been with my wife since uh, school days. And um, Ozzy leaving and then divorce, it was just like killing me. And I just had to get away and deal with my issues and uh, just clear my head. 
And once I'd got that, I saw things in a totally different light. And um, I've been in touch with Tony and Bill all the time, every day since I'd left, because I wanted to know how I, how I was doing, because they were worried about me, about the divorce. And um, eventually I got... I felt great once I got everything out of the way. And then Tony says, you know, we want you back. Come back if you're if you up to it. And I came back and uh, it was great. What, uh, when you came back and rejoined, where were they in the process for the record? Had everything else been written? Had they started recording anything? Were they working with another bass player in the event you didn't come back? Everything was recorded except Neon Nights that had yet to be written and um i came back and i'd already i already knew like three of the songs anyway that I'd, that were written before i'd left and so there's just heaven and hell and die young that i hadn't really had any part of and um i just listened to them without any bass on and then put my own bass to them all and then we wrote that neon nights in paris so so was the so when you say everything was recorded, they actually recorded everything but the bass at that point, or somebody else laid a bass track no, down and then you replaced it. Somebody else had, had uh, put the bass track down, but when I heard it, that kept the bass off. So so you know everything I'd play would be what I'd do, and uh, we went from there. And Martin Birch, the producer, really really helped a lot as well. Well, Martin, a legendary producer, Deep Purple, Iron Maiden, uh, so so many amazing things. Sadly, he passed away last year. But I was wondering about that, too, because Sabbath had never worked with him before. And his work with Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules is, I think, brilliant. His records always sound incredible. And the last few Sabbath records before Heaven and Hell, if I'm not mistaken, the band themselves, you guys produced them. So what was it like working, not only are you working with a new singer in Ronnie James Dio, but you're working with a, a new producer for the first time who you hadn't worked with and given somebody else the reins. How was that whole experience? That's, we desperately needed a producer. You know, it's no good trying to do stuff on your own when there's like four people saying, well, this should be loud and that should be loud and whatever. Um, having a producer was it gave us a chance to you go in on your own. You didn't have to have all the whole band there. You could just go in with the producer and um, work with just the two of you and bounce ideas off each other like that. And um, I think that those, I think that's why those two albums, Heaven and Ella Mob, are all stand up today because the production's so great. You know, it's also really, when you think about it in retrospect, it's super important that you ended up coming back in and doing Heaven and Hell, not only because your playing is brilliant on it and it's a brilliant record, but also because at that time, I would think for Tony and Bill at that time to market Sabbath with not only one, but then two or two new members if you hadn't come back, potentially a new bass player would have made it even more challenging. It was going to be challenging to market. I would think a band without the singer, a new singer at that point. But if you hadn't come back, then they're looking at the prospect of trying to get fans to buy into a band that was half of the band they once knew. I think that at that time for that first record, that would have been difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, 
I had a totally total new enthusiasm for the band because towards the end of uh, the Aussie era, everybody was like really low and um, we were in a bad place. That the, the record company was uh, sort of forgot about us. They weren't behind us anymore, and um, we just needed a, a kick up the rump, and that which is what we got when Ronnie came in, and. Um, it was a whole, it felt like a whole new band when I came back. You could just feel the the enthusiasm with everyone, and it, it just worked. And where where were you when you came back into the band to to record Heaven and Hell? Bill is still there. Bill would do the first few weeks of the tour for the Heaven and Hell record. But where what were you sensing with Bill? Did you have any insights or feeling that? you may lose bill during that tour did you did you get a feeling that he maybe had one foot out the door while you were making the record with him no not at all i mean i knew that bill was really upset about you know ozzy's departure as we all were um you know it's, it's like losing one of your brothers because we'd, we'd all virtually grown up together we were all from the same part of birmingham in aston and um it really was like losing your brother I think it hit Bill harder than anyone else in the band and his drinking just got worse and worse and worse. And when we were on went on tour, he just used to get uh he used to booze all the time. And um this one night he was sitting outside the his hotel drinking and we all went to bed. Got up the next day, like about ten o'clock in the morning. Bill was still in the same position outside his hotel room, still boozing. And uh, soon after that, he just got on his bus and left the tour without telling anybody. Mm. Uh, do you have before you move on to Mob Rules and Vinny coming in? Do you have a favorite track on Heaven and Hell? Is there a one or two tracks that? That that for you personally are are great memories or just favorite songs. Um, I love playing Heaven and Hell. It's, it's a great song to play live because it is uh, you could extend it for as long as you wanted to to do and have a really good jam on it when we were doing it live. Um, well, like all, I think Children of the Sea, one of my favorites. Uh, do you have a I'm least nice. favorite? Do you have one you don't like? Probably walk away. Yeah, I bring that up because I saw an inter- I read an interview with Tony recently, and he called that one out too. It's, it, it's kind of a different. It's almost a happy song for Sabbath, even though the story, the subject is, and just the the sound of it. It's kind of it's kind of a. I, I don't. I'm not a musician, so I don't know how to, to to talk about tunings or what have you. But it just seems like a, a totally different, almost a poppy approach for Sabbath. Yeah, it's like a, a gene- generic rock song. Yeah, yeah. It's still a great I mean, song, but in the context of the record, but it's just a different tone to the record. But if it's the rest of the album that it sounded like that, then you'd never have heard of us again. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing that's interesting is, you know, Tony bringing up Ronnie coming in at that time, you, there was no interest in it. It wasn't about, well, let's go try to find a guy that sounded like Ozzy. I mean, you you found Ronnie d- does not in any way sound like Ozzy vocally. So there was was there consideration to that when that decision was being made? Uh, I imagine you viewed it as a positive, like no, this is going to be its own thing. We're going to get a guy 
that's going to put his own stamp on this stuff as opposed to being a guy that vocally tries to impersonate, you know, who was just in the band. Well, when he came in, because it was like Children of the Sea, the first thing that we did, his voice uh, was perfect for that song. And um, Ozzy did a version of it, and it just didn't sound right with Ozzy singing it. When Ronnie sang on it, it was like, yeah, that's what we need, you know, that kind of a voice, that kind of approach. So uh, it was positive from day one, really. Does anybody have a recording of Ozzy singing Children of the Sea? I think Ozzy might. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure Tony has. He's got millions of cassettes with stuff on. I'm going to talk to Tony on Thursday. If he did, I would, uh, I mean, that would have been an amazing inclusion to hear that as part of these reissues, which of course are now out now with a, a, bu- a bunch of bonus content and the bonus content geezer on heaven and hell includes, uh, there, there's some, some, uh, previously unreleased live stuff on here. There's a show from Hartford, Connecticut. And then there's part of that show from Hammersmith Odeon from 82, uh, the bonus content on the Heaven and Hell reissue, what can you tell us about that? Absolutely nothing. I haven't even heard it. <laughs> oh, geez, I love you. <laughs> All right. And, and you know what? I can't tell you, my audience, how many times I've heard that from artists about their own records. I have, I have no idea. So, all right, we'll move on well, from I've, that. I've, I've, <laughs> been stuck in U- I've been stuck in Utah for the last two and a half months, and uh, I think that was when they were sending the uh, copies out, so I haven't really listened to them. I was going to say, what, they don't have mail in Utah? <laughs> no. <laughs> FedEx doesn't go there? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you about the mob rules moving forward. So when you go to make that record, now you're fully in. You had done the tour. There was none of that, uh, you know, no, no issue going into it. So for you, you were right there from the beginning involved, I'm sure, in all of the writing. So I imagine for you that was even a more fulfilling experience because now everyone had been used to working with Ronnie. Talk about creating the Mob Rules. Well, we'd done the, the, the album Heaven and Hell was a massive success. Uh, the tour was going great. And we were playing, um, actually, London Hammersmith, and we got the call that uh, they were making a film of the uh, heavy metal uh, magazine, and they wanted us to do uh, one of the tracks for the soundtrack. Um, so they sent us the storyline and drawings of the part of the film that they wanted us to make, and we went into uh, John Lennon's house, um, he had a little studio in his house and we came up with the song, the mob rules. And it was written like it almost wrote itself. It was like done in two or three days. We finished the written and recorded it and um, sent it off to heavy metal people and they put it on the uh, soundtrack. Um, so by the, we, we got that started and finished the Heaven and Hell tour, went to LA and uh, started writing the Mob Rules album. The recording more comfortable considering everybody had had some time together at that point, I would imagine. Of course, now 
two new guys in Sabbath because then Vinny's in the band and Vinny's recording with you as a bass player, having a different guy playing drums for the first time really in your career at that point with Bill not being there and recording with a different drummer. How was that for you? It was great for me um, because I was relieved of uh, having to write the lyrics so I could concentrate on bass for once. And uh, yeah, I thought me and Vinny played really well together. It was a good rhythm section. And Vinny, as you know, is a good bloke anyway. Um, but he fitted in straight away. No problem. And that's, that, and that's another really important thing for people to remember, which I actually forgot for half a second. A huge turning point for you with this this era of Sabbath was yeah, you wrote the lyrics in uh, on all the Black Sabbath records uh, le- and songs leading up to this. W- so you welcomed that when Ronnie came in and said he was a lyricist and was going to write his lyrics, you were good with that? Oh, absolutely. Because when we did the Never Say Die album, the original Sabbath, doing the lyrics is like pulling teeth. I mean, I used to write, do some lyrics and give them to Ozzy, and he wouldn't even read them. He was like totally disinterested. And um, I just hated writing lyrics by by that time. And so it's such a relief when Ronnie came in and somebody that could write interesting lyrics as well. It was uh, a godsend. The piece before the Mob Rules, that instrumental piece, E5150, is that something you came up with? Yeah, it's a, I used uh, bass pedals for it. I mean, a bass guitar with bass guitar pedals. I came up with that, and then Tony added some guitar bits to it. And um, I think Jeff Nichols on keyboards added a little bit at the end. And and that piece is on in front of the song The Mob Rules on the album The Mob Rules, but when the, for the heavy metal soundtrack, that, that piece of music is actually used in the film itself, right? Is it? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I believe it is. I believe it's in the film itself at some point as like a a production piece, and then of course it showed up uh, as the intro piece. And did you? And I'm trying to remember because the first time I would have seen Sabbath, I'm pretty sure was the Mob Rules tour. And did did they not play that over the PA as you guys took the stage? Yeah, that was the intro to the whole show. Yeah, yeah, I do recall that being a, a pretty big moment in terms of the setup of the show. What do you recall, uh, Geezer, about the Mob Rules tour? Um, not a lot, to be honest. I remember doing the album and then uh, going straight out back on tour. Um, so it was just uh, going through the, the usual merry-go-round. Ronnie had often told me Ronnie had often told me over the years that when when he first came out and you guys played that did the Heaven and Hell tour and it was the tour with uh, the Black and Blue tour with Blue Oyster Cult he had told me that there were members in the audience at that time there were fans that gave him a hard time and gave you guys a hard time about Ozzy not being there that it took a while did you feel that shift on the Mob Rules did you feel there was more acceptance towards Ronnie and that went away with the audience. Oh, absolutely. I think people started accepting Ronnie after like the first week of the Heaven and Hell tour because, you know, they'd heard the album by then and um, heard by word of mouth how good the show was with Ronnie. And uh, they sort of accepted him 
almost straight away. And I don't know if you know this, but like over the weekend, you mentioned Jeff Nichols a couple times who played keyboards on these records that over the weekend, Jeff Nichols estate or whoever runs his uh, social media put out a previously, what they call a previously unreleased song from the Dio Sabbath era called Slapback. Have you heard of that? Do you have any knowledge of that? Yeah, that was uh, we, that was one of the uh, songs that we did before I left. Um, it's probably the reason why I did leave. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it was uh, it was just one of those you know songs that we didn't make uh, didn't make the grade. So, are you on it? You played on it before. That was before you left to go back to England. Yeah, that was right before I left. Yeah, it was just a one-off thing. We just jammed it and uh, didn't think anything more of it. Didn't really and was, work. Was Jeff Nichols going to be the... Did Jeff Nichols, was he the guy who played bass when in your absence? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's interesting he has an unreleased song, but these, these two records on Rhino with bonus content from the label doesn't have it. Oh, no, it's incredible, and it's it's quite good quality as well. I've heard right. the, two, the two the two songs that uh, from the Jeff Nichols thing, and it's uh, it, you know it's, it's reasonable quality. I and mean, we might be looking at we might be talking in a few years about yet another reissue of these records, Geezer. This is like I'm the fourth sure, one. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. <laughs> long long after I'm not here anymore. <laughs> no, you're not going anywhere, man. You got to finish that book. You got it's going to take you at least ten years, so you're good. <laughs> hey, one, one, one or two quick things, and then I'll let you go. Something that I read in the liner notes to these reissues that I was floored by, and I think this is, in the world of heavy music, this is explosive news. But you maintain that the whole, for lack of a better term, metal sign, devil horns, whatever, that Ronnie is credited for starting that you actually had been doing it before and you put the idea in his head to do it, you got to talk about that. Absolutely. I've been doing that sign since I've got pictures of me doing it since 1971. And I always used to do it in uh, the breakdown in the song Black Sabbath. Um, Just before it goes into the fast part at the end, I'd do that sign to the audience. And... On the first couple of um, Heaven and Hell tour shows, Ronnie was was saying, when I'm going on stage, everybody's doing the, the peace sign to me, and that's an Aussie thing, and uh, I feel like I should be doing something back to him. And I showed him, he says, what's that sign that you do in Black Sabbath? And I showed him the devil horn sign, and he, he started doing it from there and made it famous. So you realize that the significance of that has been out there and hugely debated as to where it started. Gene Simmons has taken some claim to it from saying he did it in 76 or whatever. Until these reissues came out and I got my copies the other day, I've never heard you talk about this, that this originated with you. How come you did you ever say this publicly before? 
I didn't really think much of it because, you know, I was doing it. As I say, I got pictures of me doing it in 1971 and it was just an alternative to Aussie's peace signs. I was doing it. And if you look at the Yellow Submarine album cover, John Lennon's cartoon character's doing it in 1966 or whatever it was. So, you know, it's, it's an old sign. I was just doing it because that Alistair Crowley used to do it. <laughs> Yeah, well, Ronnie, Ronnie's story about doing it, and I'm, I'm, I'm Italian myself, so I related to what Ronnie used to say, which was that it was a, a sign. Did it. Yeah, well, it is in Italian folklore. It is a sign. It's called the Maloika. That is a real thing, and it's something to ward off evil spirits. And Ronnie, being Italian, he and I would talk about that all the time. But he never used to say that you put it in his head to do it. I know there's a lot of things that Ronnie, that are, he nicked off me, that he claimed that he was the originator. But, you know, he made it famous, so. Well, give me, one other, what other, give me one other thing that he nicked off of you. His album title, Sacred Heart. That's where I used to go to school. And he, he Is that right? One, um, one of his songs, One Foot in the Grave, and I jokingly said, you should call the album one foot in the grave. And then when he left the band, he called his, one of his songs that. Interesting. He was, Interesting. Very, he was very naughty about things like that. And I used to <laughs> sign, um, I used to sign when I did an autograph, I'd write magic. And, uh, <laughs> and so Ronnie started writing magic as well. And in fact, he called his album Magica. Right, right. And, he was and, uh, very naughty about things like that. But did you ever confront him about it? No. Only about the uh, the devil horn sign. Yeah, because Gene Simmons tried to copyright that and and lost that copyright, but you could have went after him for it if you had proof that you started it earlier. Yeah, I've got photographs of me doing it. Wow, that I never knew that, Geese. I never, never knew that. And and if you can clear up what exactly went on now, the record that came out as a live record of these two albums was the Live Evil record. And there's been so much talk about that. People deny it, confirm it that Ronnie would go in and change things. You and Tony changed things, and that led to the the breakup the first time around of that version of the band. Is that exactly what happened? Is that the truth? Is that what was at the core of all of it? That's what was according to the uh, the engineer that was doing the engineering the live album, and uh, plus Ronnie was uh, concentrating on his solo album by then, and we, I think Tony uh, sort of took offence that Ronnie had gone out and uh, got himself a solo album instead of like concentrating on Sabbath, so it all Were came you- down to uh, that. The other really interesting thing about this period is here's Sabbath reborn with a new singer, widely loved records with Heaven and Hell and the Mob Rules, and then your singer, your former singer, Ozzy Osbourne, which people had written off and thought would never do anything ever again, also amazingly at the same time puts out two brilliant records with an incredible guitar player with Randy Rhodes and Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake, this incredible band. Were you? How closely were were you guys watching what he was doing, and what were your thoughts about? Were you shocked that he was able to create something like that with those people? No, I mean, 
Ozzy had already left the band before uh, the Never Say Die album, and he, he was always going on about doing his own thing back then. In fact, in one of the Sabbath photos, he's got a, a Blizzard of Oz T-shirt on. Um, so I knew he wanted... He, he just fell out of love with what we were doing in Sabbath, and... I wasn't really paying much attention to what he was doing, to be honest. And um, and then he came out, you know, and he was probably bigger than Sabbath ever was. Well, of course, you would end up going to play in his band for a little bit, uh, not too long after that. So, so yeah, there we wasn't always maintained friendship. So there wasn't a competitiveness, there wasn't a rivalry, there wasn't looking at chart positions around the world and saying, you know, we got him here or he's got us there. It was none of that. No, we all loved Ozzy. We were so glad that he got himself, because he was killing himself at the state that he was in when he left uh, Sabbath. He really was uh, on the verge. And um, if, he hadn't, if it wasn't for Sharon, uh, I think he'd have topped himself eventually. He'd never, you know, he'd have OD'd or something. And she uh, pulled him out of it, got him, uh, got him straight again. Well, it's an incredible period. It's the period that I was first introduced to, to Sabbath. It's super special to me. I love that we're revisiting it again. I could talk about it forever. I love these records. I also think Dehumanizer is a very, very under, underrated record. For me, I really got into Dehumanizer when you guys came back together in 06 and started playing stuff from it live. I think that because of the time that record came out, it was probably a bit overlooked. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think it was, yeah, because it was all uh, the uh, Seattle sound back, back then, wasn't it, that was really popular. Mm. Yeah, and of course, the final record, The Devil You Know, made under the name Heaven and Hell, your thoughts about that as a final testament to this era of the band? That was the most fun record to make of all of them, because um, we were all heavily involved in the writing of it, and we wrote it all at... Uh, Ronnie's studio at his house and we had a really really good time making it um we all, we all we'd all grown up and all the egos had gone out the window and all that kind of stuff all that was in the past and we all really enjoyed each other's company and had a really good fun time writing and doing that out doing that doing the writing and then the album is great yeah it really is. It's uh, it's all four of the studio records I absolutely love. And uh, I know that towards the end of Ronnie's life that you and he were, were very close. And I think it's great that you come out and do the, the charity stuff with us. And I hope you're polishing up the bowling ball. Hopefully we'll be able to bowl again soon. <laughs> yeah. Come on, geez, you got your own shoes. I was telling everybody, man, you were good to go. You were good. You, you turned in two tremendous performances on the lanes with me. Yeah, one good performance. <laughs> Did you get the shot? Are you good? To, are you ready to hit the road again when things open up? I've got both uh, vaccinations done, and I'm really looking forward to be able to go back to England because I haven't been there since December 2019. So my house over there has probably fell down by now. <laughs> So I'm, hoping, oh, ho I'm looking forward. I'm hoping to go back to England in May. 
And last thing, in, in addition to this book, whenever you get around to finishing it, musically, are you working on anything? I, I hear Deadland Ritual may be a dead issue. Where do things stand with that? And, and do you want to play still and do a band? Or would you ever want to play with Tony again in some configuration? What are you thinking as far uh, as playing? I'm just con- concentrating on this book for now. I mean, I'm still, I still play, write riffs and stuff. You know, that's part of my life. But um, nothing definite. Yeah, De- Deadland Ritual's dead. So um, I've got so much, so many uh, ideas and stuff written. I just got to find the time to uh, sit down and go through them all. And, and what caused Deadland Ritual to be dead? Just trying to keep it together, the difficulty trying to start something brand new like that? What what happened there? The um, The virus put the, the uh, final nail in the coffin because, uh, I mean, we had 13, 12 or 13 songs written. We were about to go into the studio in uh, last March and everything closed down. Um, Matt left the band and uh, Steve, he's got uh, a lung, I think a lung condition or something, so he couldn't leave the house because of the virus. And it just put, put just it just didn't revive it. So it's I mean, not you never something. Know. It might do it in next year or something. I don't know. Right, right, right. Well, look, it's always great to talk to you, Geezer. I appreciate the time. I hope I get a chance to see you soon. I'm glad you're all vaccinated, and hopefully, you can get back to England and check on your place there. And uh, my best to your wife and your family. And and hopefully, we. Uh, Hopefully the DO events are able to happen this year and we get to, to roll the bowling ball a little bit together again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, be great. All right, my friend. Take care of yourself, all right? Okay, good speaking with you. See all you right, Geese. Okay, take care, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thanks to Geese. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Thanks earlier to Tony Iommi. Man, what a week to have Geezer Butler and Tony Iommi on a podcast together. Again, those interviews were done a couple days apart, but as part of my Sabbath week on Sirius XM Radio, I tr- look, if that doesn't convince you to get on board with me every day on volume on Sirius XM, I don't know what would. We had a different guest every day of the week related to Black Sabbath a couple weeks ago. And the, the uh, Sabbath reissues of Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules, really, really good. I mean, they're, they're a tremendous records to begin with, but the packaging... The audio, the bonus stuff is just great. So thanks to Tony. Thanks to Geezer. Next week, the drummers of Black Sabbath, Bill Ward and Vinnie Apice. You don't want to miss that either. Remember, follow me on social media for all the updates, especially Twitter and Instagram, at Eddie Trunk. I am on Cameo as well if you're interested in a personalized video. Just search my name at Cameo.com. Thanks to Katie Irizarry, the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'll see you guys next Thursday.
Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.